everybody, and welcome to what? It is your favorite, hopefully, documentary slash competition podcast. And I am your host, Ellie Main. And with me, as always, I have the delicious, the delectable, everybody's favorite swamp witch, Chelsea Hoffman. Oh my God. Chelsea, it's me. On? And it is me. And I'm like, look, I am. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> listen. And now, now look and listen, please. L- listen, I am about. Two months into my uh, curly girl method journey, which is this thing where girls on TikTok convince themselves that they actually have curly hair and then they put like huge amounts of time and effort and product into making their straight hair curly. And then they're like, look, it yeah. was always curly. And I'm like, <laughs> I said it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I've had enough friends with curly hair, present company included, <laughs> to know that if your hair is curly, then it's it's the opposite. It's curly no matter what you do. Not like... <laughs> Not like yes. straight until you like trick it into being curly. So now I've got a weird little wadding system and it like makes it wavy and not flat. Yeah. And we love that for me. We're coming up on our all of our one year like lockdown anniversary. Yay. Yeah, we are. You know, if you're anything like me, you've been in a low level mental health crisis since March of 2019. And it has really ebbed and flowed in terms of like, you know, when it first started, I think we were all kind of in this weird mindset of like, it's fine. I'm just going to read so many books. Like, God, I just like, I can't wait to like read God. books. I'm just going like, to read books and I'm going to like go on walks. And like, it's been really nice to like go on walks with my boyfriend, just like in the neighborhood. Like I hadn't even seen this part of my neighborhood. And like, that's the thing I'm just like so grateful for. And then by like month seven, you're like, I'm going to kill myself and everyone else in this house. I can't fucking do this anymore. So what I feel like I've circled back to is I'm like, okay, well, I have been watching a lot of like bimbo TikToks about the bimbo movement and I want to be like, I'm already hot, but like, I want to be insanely mega hot when this is over. Like I want to like splash back on the scene, just like so hot. It's kind of scary, like unapproachably hot, just like horrifying. You want to like frighten everyone inside bar. When you arrive, you know how like Lovecraft monsters, the whole thing is like, oh, my God, like when you see them, like your mind can't process the horror of their true <laughs> being and you loot, you go insane. Hot. I want to be that, but hot. So I love that. I've taken this time to just exp- like, I'm like, oh, normally I don't have time to like experiment with all this shit because I have to go out and be a public, a publicly perceived person in my day to day life. Yeah. But right now I don't I need to be perceived. Yeah, I don't need to be perceived by anyone. So I'm like, oh, let me experiment with this weird hair thing. I'm going to start like wadding my hair. And like, if it looks terrible, like when I wake up tomorrow, that's okay. Nobody's going to see it until I can learn. I have nowhere to go. I'm trying new things with my face. I bought seven bikinis in a fit the other day. Oh. Just like in a seven, seven bikinis. Yeah, and just like a fit of emotion. So that's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at, and it's a... Tell me immediately. It's a take, okay? This is something I came to today. That I have become much more self-aware about my mental health in a good and a bad way, because... Interesting, (laughs) okay. before the Pandora, uh, the Ponder replay, back before... The Panini, if you will. The Panini. Back before all of that happened, I was sort of semi-aware of how my anxiety made me feel but I would kind of ignore it and go do things right and now I can't Mm -hmm. do that and so if I have a day where I wake up and I'm like wow my anxiety is really bad today I'm gonna do nothing 
then I do absolutely mm-hmm. nothing, which is like probably mm-hmm. good because I should do that because I'm experiencing extreme anxiety and therefore it's not great to pretend that you don't feel that and continue to do your day. But also at the same time, a lot of not doing anything happening over on or over on this side of town. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I've never played more video games and at the same time felt good about it. And also like I'm wasting away. I don't think you're wasting away. First of all, I feel like every time I talk to you, you're talking about like a new idea you're excited about. Aww. I don't think you're wasting away. But even even if you were only playing video games, I think that, you know, mm-hmm. that over the past like couple years, I have really been trying to like radically reframe uh, how I draw like self-worth and I've realized that for somebody that does not like to define other people by like or like just sort of hates like anything that could be classified as status Mm -hmm. I do definitely draw a lot of self-worth from not even necessarily being a good worker because I wouldn't necessarily say I'm like (laughs) the best worker but like having a high status job and I'm like it's a thing I really don't like about myself like I figured it out and then I was like oh I don't like this and I was like this is exactly what happened when like I decided to stop like freelancing with rooster teeth as I was like oh well that's a cool job and when I say the name of that company, people recognize it mm-hmm. and that's a good feeling. Yeah. And I don't want to not have that feeling anymore. And then I was like, oh, well, this is a really bad reason <laughs> to like otherwise stay at a job that I don't want to stay at. So I'm not going to. And then now I'm like, I keep talking to Connor, you know, MVP, uh, just absolutely incredible, unbiased uh, points giver Connor from this show, from this uh-huh. podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And I was talking to Carter. I was like, "Yeah, you know, like if Daddy Biden really canceled my student loans, like I just God, like I I think sometimes about like how much I loved being a barista, or like I'd love to try being a bartender. I've never been a bartender before. I think it'd be so fun. And there's just like this, and those things are true. I really do truly think those things are really fun, and I would really like to do them. And I think I would be really good at them. And there's like this nagging part of my mind that's like, yeah, but like you've worked really hard to like get where you're at with your job. Like, are you just gonna like? not do that anymore and then I'm like oh I hate that I even thought that that really bothers me mm. if like I heard somebody else say that in a bar I would think they were a douchebag sunk but cost. I just said it to myself it's sunk cost right yeah I've spent so oh, I much guess I hadn't even thought about it that way it's so much I spent so much time and pain and effort to get to where I'm at does throwing that away mean I've learned nothing no that's true. You're in a sunk cost place, but that's a very natural place to be. Honestly, I think that's a very generous interpretation to me because I still just feel like a douchebag <laughs> where I'm like, oh, I'm letting like status dictate what I would and would not do. And that's really lame. Well, how about we talk about some really interesting, mad and wild things that have happened in the universe? Oh my God, I do want to talk about that. Are those your five fun fasts? I don't actually, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm really excited okay. about this because <laughs> I don't have any uh, fun first facts for you. I do have okay. a fact bang or what I think is possibly like a new kind of mini start to the show, which is when oh we God. revisit a past topic and we give <gasps> an update. What would that be like a what date? I think what date is better than the first thing that came to my mind, which was trying to combine like fact and update and it became fuck date. <laughs> and so... I don't think that's going to work. And so (laughs) I think what date is really cute. What date? Do you remember when we talked about the mystery of the Dyatlov Pass and the hikers that all died in very specific and and creepy ways and that people were like, this can't be an avalanche. It was in episode 11. 
So it's a 60 year old hiking mystery. We talked about it. It feels like it's too easy to be an avalanche because it was weird and there was some creepy stuff that happened and it didn't all feel right. But recently, and this was brought to my attention from some of our whatchamacallits through Hell the yeah. power of social media. Oh my God, so powerful. <laughs> so somebody used the snow coding mechanics from the Disney Pixar movie Frozen to prove that it was an avalanche. What? <laughs> Yes. So what? what? <laughs> I know. I was losing um, my mind when I was reading okay. about this. So, okay. Apparently, a slap avalanche is what Dunn did it, and they're certain of it in parts thanks to simulations generated by the code used to animate Disney's blockbuster movie Frozen. Okay. So this guy, Johan Gaum, or Gaum, G-A-U-M-E, he is the head of the Snow Avalanche Simulation Laboratory at the Swiss Technical Institute. And he was mm-hmm. like thinking about the Dyatlov Pass as one, I guess, who's really interested in snow would often do. <laughs> and obviously, you know, that the main argument was that a small slab of avalanche released right above their tents and surprised them while they were sleeping, which so because some of them had these like crazy impact injuries, right, which didn't seem to fit with and the idea of just like, what we know about avalanches as laymen as non-avalanches <laughs> yeah as non-avalanches <laughs> so the new york times asked for his insight into the incident in 2019 and he began to think about it because i guess that like you know they did a whole follow-up because it was must have been 60 years by that point they're like what do you think snowboy and he's like you know what i don't know and then at some point he watched Frozen and found himself stuck by its super realistic s- snow simulations because it's essentially, it is a physical, it's like based in physics, this snow generator that they came up with right. to make it look like snow. So he asked he asked Pixar if he could borrow their animation code. It is, it, is it Pixar mm-hmm. or is it just Disney? It might be just Disney, actually. I don't know. I think that one's just a Disney. I but I mean, you're maybe... right that they're like, they're now one company. Yeah, so you're not technically wrong. <laughs> so he asked Marvel for their snow, <laughs> for their snow generator. <laughs> they used the code <laughs> from Frozen to simulate the impacts a slab avalanche would have had in that area. And lo and behold, the simulation showed that a slab avalanche couldn't have only easily killed the hikers, but also that it would have caused the right type of injuries for what was seen on the bodies. So... Frozen solved the mystery. That fucking whiz. <laughs> and what's cool about it is, you know, we talk a lot on this show because it comes up with a lot of our topics about how there's this, you know, great human desire to have a cause that feels equal to the effect, right? Yes. And when the cause doesn't feel equal to the effect, that's where conspiracy theories can really like grow and fester. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think like this one, like the, Di- Di- it's Dyatlov, right? Like the Dyatlov yeah. Pass, like that kind of felt like that where people would be like, well, I mean, they were on an avalanche prone mountain cliff, like, why wouldn't it be an avalanche? And it's like, because there's just too much weird shit. But then I love this because basically through the power of Disney's Frozen, (laughs) we found a way to make that cause actually feel like it lives up to the effect retroactively. Like they were like, it was almost like the universe was like, fine, an avalanche isn't enough. Okay, fine. What if it was like, what if you had to use like a children's movie that came out 60 years later to figure it out? Is that good enough for you? Is that a good enough story? Only Adele Dazeem <laughs> could have helped us figure it out. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. This one goes like this one goes out to Adele Dazeem. This like, one shout out to my girl. Is, I can't wait till Moana solves the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> Perfection Patricia. <laughs> Thank you.
let's play our mini game where we share the title of our topic and we have to guess what it might be. I am going to be annoyingly long about this. Okay. I'll go first then. (laughs) In that case. I'll I'll just pop in with mine. My topic is called The Inner Sun. The oh that's it oh that's the end that's the, the end inner of it. sun <laughs> the inner sun yeah s u n okay that was gonna be my next question so thank you for like You're anticipating so that and understanding that the inner sun okay is this about the thing that scares me most which is what like it's like on the sun <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that scares you most is what I it's mean, like you on know the that sun. I'm scared of a lot of things you know it's like a deep ocean of fears sure yes. But well, have you ever, have I ever made you watch one of my favorite movies of all time, even though I acknowledge that it's not, it's not the best movie of all time. It doesn't need to be. It's a good movie. It's called Sunshine, 2007, Killian yep. Murphy. Killian Murphy, by Dan I was Boyle. about, literally about to say Killian Murphy, yes. Yes. So I watched it because I was thirsting for Killian Murphy post that movie Red Eye. Yeah. And I was like, I'll just, I'll just watch anything with this guy in it. Uh, but that movie scared the shit out of me because in the movie he plays a physicist and he's talking about the sun and he says that basically like the sun is so hot that the rules of physics no longer apply. So like everything that you understand about how the universe works does not apply to the sun and therefore none of us know what it's like on like we have vague ideas and we can map some things about the surface of the sun but we have no idea what it's like actually like in the sun because like it's not just that like <laughs> oh it's hot but like what does that mean it's like oh like physics doesn't work there i feel like so physics, like it could be anything i mean i think is the point of physics not that it has to work all the time not if it's too hot. All right. Well, uh, is what I, you know what is what Killian Murphy told me. I'm not NASA. And I guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> no, it's not about. I don't it's like not it. about the surface of the sun. Okay. To be honest, but it's not about the inside of the sun. It's not even about space. Fuck. I know. Okay. Is it about Earth? <laughs> <laughs> My process of elimination. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. Nice. I'm looking at her comments in our Discord from this live recording, uh, and a user who may or may not want their name used, so I guess you'll have to let me know, says that their guess is it's uh, Copernicus proving that the sun is the center of the solar system. I have been, like, hot on... I have mentioned Copernicus a lot in in a couple of my topics, but it's actually not about... It's not about him. Okay. Is it about how some people are just, like, warm... And nice Aww. is it about nice people? Is it about is nice it like a little people? dorky little thing about nice people? There's a couple nice people that I thought I would just highlight. Um, <laughs> no, I'd fucking kill you. No, it isn't. It isn't. No, it's Damn, it's much just... more batshit bonkers than all that. Okay, is it about a cult? And that's my last kind guess. of. Yes, I'll take it. That's okay, fine. Yeah, I'll give it to you. What's your schmopic about? Okay, so I do want to preface this a little bit and be like, wait, what? You, you know, want to? that's insane. <laughs> Shut up. So you know how there's content that you watch because you enjoy it. Yeah. And there's content that you watch if you're Connor and you want to be challenged by it. <laughs> yeah. And then the third category is the content that you watch to hurt yourself. <laughs> Like the content that you watch because you hate it so much. Now, just to be clear, this isn't hate watching like Emily in Paris hate watching. Like this is hate watching. Like you're like, this is so awful and it makes me so upset and I cannot wait to watch it again. Mm. I mean, our friend Max Krumke is like the king of this genre, right? You know what? Here's the thing. We were talking about this kind of just today because we were talking about, we were talking about Speed Racer, right? 
Whereas like yes. on one hand, I understand the um, comment about the Hollywood industry that the Wachowski sisters were trying to make. And I get that like the whole idea is like, what if we ex- had, what if we had to experience films in a different way than we normally do? And that is like, I get it. Right. But that movie mm-hmm. in the same way that it like tickles uh, Miles's ADHD, it punches mm-hmm. my OCD. And like, that's what it feels mm-hmm. like to live inside of my brain. <laughs> Like oh my god! Like intrus- <laughs> like the amount of like intru like intru- the intrusivity is that a is that a word? Not at all. I don't know, but I I don't know if it's a word, but I know exactly what you mean. That movie is intrusive thoughts. The movie, yeah, <laughs> it's tough for me to get through because I'm like, this is what it is like for me every day. Trying to think about stuff. My mind might as well be spinning 360 bust transitions. <laughs> <laughs> well. Something else the Panini has taught me, and now we're really a little bit off topic, but it's fine. It's whatever. It's our fucking podcast. Who's going to yell at us? Something else the Panini has taught me about my mental health is that the worse my mental health is, like the more anxious or depressed that I'm feeling, the more you want to watch Speed Racer. No, (laughs) but Speed Racer does come into this. It's the more that I have difficult, like it specifically manifests, and I never realized this because it was just something that I like berated myself about, and I didn't realize it was a symptom. Is uh, I have real problems with executive function. Like oh, sure, I, like yeah. the more like mm-hmm. the more I am depressed, the more like I can see everything that like I need to do, but I will get in a loop about like I will be like, okay, I can't do any of those things. And it's like, okay, well, you can. So like the first step is just like if you want to take a shower, the first step is you have to like go to the bedroom because that's where the bathroom is. And then you have to go into the bathroom and like, then you'll ugh. take your clothes off. Then you'll turn the shower <laughs> when off. When does it and end? Then, but <laughs> right. And it's like it's not only has that become like insurmountable to me, but like my mind starts to um loop into like just like loop in those thoughts like forever. And then like none of those. And then I'm like, oh, like 45 minutes have passed and I have not moved. But I have sure thought about like every Welcome part of it. Welcome to my life every fucking yeah. day. <laughs> but as I'm saying, it's like Speed Racer is like that where it's like they both explain the plot to you like 17 times, but then also just like other different stuff keeps coming into the, the movie. Constant onslaught. But anyway. Yeah. So this third category of content, like for you, a speed racer. Right. For me, recently, it has become, and this is so important, uh, (laughs) watching slime tutorials, which I think we've talked about. Slime tutorials, a.k.a. bootlegs from Broadway. Yes. I recently taught Miles about this. Hell yeah. Of the uh, mid-aughts Broadway classic American (gasps) Idiot, the Green Day musical. Oh, yes. (laughs) I hate it so much. So much. It grates my brain the way that like watching like children do theater is like terrible where it's like, (laughs) and I said, why don't we go to the beach? And it's like that. But then like they were like adults and they were like, we're so punk. Oh, yeah. It was from a simpler, more innocent time when we all really thought that George W. Bush was the worst it was ever going to get. Yeah. And we're just like, yeah, we're not going to stand for this George W. Bush. And then it's like, (laughs) oh, my God. If we hit like uh, a certain goal that I will not share, but have in my head on our Patreon, uh-huh. uh, I will do American. I will do. How did this get made? American <gasps> Idiot the musical yes. as my topic. As but, a follow-on from the Smash Mouth All Star musical. Uh, yes. So all that is to say, my title is uh, "On the Silken Road of Broken Dreams," but it's not about that. No. But the reason I immediately it's thought of the Boulevard road. of Broken Dreams is because I've been watching, I've been, you know that TikTok with the girl Emma where everyone's like, Emma, Emma, don't. Emma, Emma no, Emma, stop. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Connor and Celia. Every time I get like 
Every time, like, I get the aux cord or, like, the, you know, like, <laughs> Xbox controller and we're, like, watching YouTube because I okay. am just going to put on the 2007 Tony Awards performance of American Idiot. I know that the Silk Road is the whole tra- Silk Trade from, like, many years before. Yes. Many years before from, like, that ancient from China. many Yes. Um, are you talking about that Silk Road or as one of our patrons helpfully suggested, are you talking about the Silk Road on the dark web? I'm talking about the latter, but I love <gasps> that your mind went to the former because that's exactly what if Ellie had a, t- a topic titled The Silken Road of Broken Dreams, it would be about the historical Silk Road. <laughs> yeah. And we'd be really in for like a hardcore history vibe. But no, it is about the crime one because it's me. <laughs> I don't know what that is at all. I mean, I know what the dark web is because I'm not like the most naive little chicken running around but um but i don't know what the dark web one is because i'm so cute and like so innocent oh my god that's the first thing i always say about you oh my gosh she doesn't know anything it's about definitely, anything it's definitely what the oversized t-shirt that i've been wearing for the past like six days says it says innocent ellie oh yeah you know yeah it does say that that's true it doesn't say anything else i feel like at this point we should sell it on our website well you should let me wash it first, but it is becoming very soft. No, I don't mean the actual t-shirt. I mean the design. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Why did you think that I meant your shirt? <laughs> I thought you meant you wanted to share custody of this shirt with me. And I was like, that's really sweet. Like this, the, the podcast community of the traveling shirt. Yeah. Yeah, we all guys, everyone on this, and you don't you don't get to say no. Everyone who's listening right now, live on our Patreon, you get the shirt. You get a week with it, and then you have to send it on. All right? Yeah, no hordesies. No hordesies. Don't keep it. You have to you have to send it on. Everyone wants a piece of it. topic is called the inner sun Mm -hmm. and in a way i'm talking about the underworld but not kind but kind of not really but kind of so from time immemorial people have believed there is another world lying just beneath the surface of our planet we talked about when we had like talked about like the gateway into hell that people Mm -hmm. thought they discovered in turkey you remember that yes unfortunately so like these early beliefs of there being another world lying beneath the surface was more sort of sort of like metaphorical, mythological, but also we learned kind of geographical, but there was sort of very limit, lim- like limited understanding of it, right? Mm-hmm. We know now about like the earth as she is, is made up of a series of layers and crusts like a lasagna and liquid magma in a dense hot... I mean, we've all seen the movie Court, right? We know, <laughs> we know, yeah. we know... What the earth is made of and how. Oh, I really have seen the movie Core. I don't know if you've seen the movie no, Core. I have. I've absolutely seen I have. the movie Core. Of course I've seen. It's one of my favorite terrible disaster movies that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> they have to restart the core, you guys, because it's going to stop. <laughs> so they have to drill down. Uh, it's a whole thing. But science with the capital S, we know yes. that the earth is a big rock, pot core in the middle of iron and nickel, and then a bunch of like magma and crusts and layers and then we have the soil and shit on the top. You know, you can, guys, you can tell I loved geology. <laughs> but turns out not everyone is convinced. We know about the flat earthers, right? Yes. Yeah, the earth is a big flat penny. And if you sail off the side, 
then oopsie doopsie. Well, it has a firmament. Yeah. But did you know that in the 17th century, some of the leading scientific minds of the time came up with a theory that the planet is actually hollow? Why? And, then, <laughs> and this has proved to be like, an incredibly durable idea. There are still some people that believe that the Earth is hollow. What? But like, what does that add? What does that get us? Like, like what's at least like with flat Earth? They're like, well, yeah, that's because that's like my very like smooth brain interpretation of the Bible. Like, what do we get out of having a hollow Earth? The eventual place to be rest to is both lizard men and also kaiju. But <gasps> <laughs> okay, this kind of makes sense, right? Because Pacific Rim, they came yep. out of the ocean, Where'd they and come I do from? remember that. Okay, they be coming from the ocean. Exactly. It's it's like the um, it's the storage container of Earth. So I see. Even today, there is a small cadre of hollow Earth believers who are fighting quite valiantly to validate their ideas through some, through books and websites and meetings, and some extremely ambitious travel plans. Uh, there's a guy called Rodney Clough, who is the author of sure. World Top Secret, colon, <laughs> Our Earth is Hollow. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so a real from, straight shooter. Yeah, yeah. So from his research, the shell of the Earth is about 800 miles thick from the outside to the inner surface. Like, imagine a big, thick ping pong ball. Uh-huh. Half the planet is taken up by surface weight, and then there's empty space. And then there is something else. Suspended in the middle of the earth is the center of in the center of the hollow is an interior sun that is divided by day and night sides. Oh, obviously. Yeah. So the other part of the hollow earth theory is that near the north and south pole, on this outer side of the earth where we live, are these substantial openings that would lead into the interior. Okay. This is on his website, World Top Secret Colon, our Earth is hollow. He says that inside this little nugget, like this little tiny earth inside of our earth, is a, t- a terrestrial paradise where the original Garden of Eden is, where the lost tribes of Israel live, uh, where the political kingdom of God is, where the lost Viking colonies of Greenland went, where the vanquished Germans escaped to after World War II, where flying saucers come from, where people live to be hundreds of year olds in, in perfect health and peace and prosperity exist for everyone and heaven is located inside of the inner sun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. would sure be fucking cool if it were <laughs> if it were there. I mean, Ellie, like, you know how, like, we all feel about Atlantis, right? That it's real? That I just so desperately want it to be real. Yes. Yeah, like, wouldn't that be fucking awesome? Like, it is the one that I just, like, hold to, where I'm like, okay, but, like, what if? Like, I would love for Atlantis to be real. I think the Atlantis Disney movie criminally underrated. <laughs> Although I feel like it is having, like, a, a renaissance in, like, <laughs> this time. Um, right. Yeah, like, there's, like, some, like, real wish fulfillment shit going on here. Where I'm like, oh. yeah, that sounds cool <clears throat> as fuck. I want to go into the Earth if, like, the Earth is just, like, better world. Like, world but better. Well, there was a time when this was what, like, history's greatest scientists, like, it was logical. It was what they totally thought was was the thing. Oh, yeah, totally, sure. So, actually, the first person who speculated about a hollow Earth was Edmund Halley of, like, Halley's Comet. 
Uh huh. So he proposed in 1692 as a way of explaining these sort of anomalous compass readings that he was getting that the planet is a series of nested spherical shells that spin in different directions around a central core, like something that you would see in like the CGI of the Da Vinci Code when it goes into the right. machines, you know? Some real steampunk shit. Some kind of steampunk shit, yeah. yeah. These things are all moving in different directions around a central core. And in his estimation based on, I guess, sort of magnetic readings and what he sort of knew about the gravitational pull of the sun and moon and stuff, he thought that his this idea could account for all the inaccuracies of any any readings of magnetic fields that didn't make sense. But he also thought that this maybe the space between each shell had luminous atmospheres of their own that supported life. So they were like worlds within, like we were like a little Russian doll planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you were to pop off the the exterior shell, then you had like a different little Earth, and it would all get smaller and smaller. Is <laughs> it meant to be cheetah? It's easy, but his idea was kind of welcomed and then expanded upon over the next few centuries. So we're talking 1692, a couple centuries. But people tossed out this like kind of messy view of like the steampunk multiple multiple spheres for the much more fun version that the entire interior of the Earth is just one large cavern and this is normally kind of accompanied with the theory of a small sun that hangs in the very center that makes this like amazing sort of eden right this lush livable environment inside of earth's surface and uh, apparently a bunch of like mathematicians and scientists were like into this and we're just like yeah this makes total sense which is insane (laughs) (laughs) well it kind of sounds like a thing where they were like, okay, well, guys, we're all scientists and we all know, like you and I know, that obviously there's like a series of circles and they, they all be spinning and it's super cool to like look at and visualize. We like, all we're not going to be able to that. get the lay people. Like we just now got them to read and like we're not going to get them to <laughs> like buy into this. So we need to simplify it. Let's just have like outer earth, inner earth. Like let's just keep it real tight. And well, then like, what if maybe- I told you... <laughs> that in 1822 it got to Congress. What? <laughs> no, it what? No, it didn't. Yeah, it did. Okay, oh my so, god. So, okay. This idea, this idea of this hollow earth somehow managed to grow and survive. So 1818, this guy called John Symes, or Seems Symes, I think S-Y-M-M-E-S Jr. I mean, I would guess Symes. Symes. Let's say Symes. He published this thing called Circular Number One declaring to the world the earth is hollow mm-hmm. he was a veteran of the war of 1812 and pretty like in his like daytime was a pretty unsuccessful trader but he soon became maybe the most famous and successful proponent of hollow earth theory to this day his initial vision of the earth's interior was kind of like a simplified version of of this multi-layered steampunk model with the exception that there were these huge holes at the North and South Poles, which allowed access into sort of the hidden world inside. And these holes became known as the Sims holes, which I know okay. you played a lot of Sims. So just like try and divorce yourself from that association. Okay. I will. Um, in his very first declaration, he proposed to mount an expedition to the North Pole, where he was sure they could locate one of these apertures and and gain access to the inner earth and see the inner sun. He also believed that the inner earth supported life. He thought this was not science fiction, but science fact. And it not only applied to earth, but to all planetary bodies. To him, the oh, so entire- there's like, an, there's like an outer Mars, inner Mars, yeah. outer- Yeah, okay, that's how planets work, is that they're like big onions. 
basically. Guys, that's just planets, okay? That's how they work. I declare the Earth is hollow, he says, and habitable within, containing a number of solid concentric <laughs> spheres, one within the other, that is open at the poles 12 or 16 degrees, and I pledge my life in support of this truth, and I'm ready to explore the hollow, if the world will support and aid me in the undertaking. I ask 100 brave companions, well-equipped, to start from Siberia in the fall, with reindeer and sleighs, on the ice of the frozen sea. I engage we find a warm and rich land, stocked with thrifty vegetables and animals, if not men, on reaching one degree northward of latitude 62 and we will return in the succeeding spring <laughs> uh <laughs> i mean <laughs> sir uh gosh i wish i could just like declare shit <laughs> be like look i declare it's like this and also i'm gonna go do it and i dedicate my life to it and i actually <laughs> you're not allowed to criticize me on it i am and that's a just my opinion and science. you can't get mad at me for that yeah it's just my opinion he thought that there was going to be a 4,000 mile wide entrance to the hollow at the North Pole. And in the in 1822, he got Congress to vote on giving him money to fund this expedition. And they did say no. Yeah, they did say no. Uh, they said that this was insane. And he never got his expedition. And he did. He unfortunately died an early and penniless death in 1949. He never stopped. He never stopped touring and trying to get money for this. He expedition. never stopped trying to get to the center of that earth. He he never stopped trying. Aww. No. And then this- so probably because of his like fruitless attempts to keep going, even after his death, this idea continued to thrive amongst his believers. And so students and admirers of his work, and even his own son, continued to publish materials explaining this odd theory. If your dad dies penniless trying to convince people to send him to the center of the earth it probably is pretty difficult to like then move on and be like anyway anyway <laughs> back to my stuff i'm interested in anyway um, back to my hunch back to my hunch i think the earth might just have like i don't know like lava in it whatever <laughs> the thing it made me think about was i, I think about because i think a lot about how cool of a job this would have been Minus the colonizing part, which I would not have been interested in. But like you hear a lot of stories from like the Middle Ages and, you know, like the 17th, 18th century uh, where somebody just like goes to a king or queen and is like, your highness, like your majesty, I would like to sail the ocean and I'm going to find for you like all this cool stuff all over the ocean. And then just like the king and queen pays for it. They're just like, yeah, dude, like fucking go. Like, go buy <laughs> hey, me you know chocolate. What? That sounds dope. <laughs> that sounds fucking cool as shit. Like, go find me like magic chocolate or something. Like, and then come back. It's fine. I'm gonna <laughs> pay come for on it. back. Bring it back. I believe you. And I know that like there is a part of that that's sort of the kind of persists to this day in the sense that like yes, the government does pay for research and development in certain like like at research institutions or public like universities, but. I don't know, for whatever reason, I just don't imagine it happening the same way that I think it happened in, like, the 1600s. So it is really fun. Like, you've brought back sort of, like, an image of just, like, a man Mm -hmm. with his hat in his hands in front of Congress. And it's just been like, send me to the earth. I need to see the 4,000-mile hole. (laughs) I need to see this hole. I declare it is real. I declare declare it is so. And I declare it. When we did our our mini-game, you asked me Mm -hmm. about cults. Oh, I did. It's true. So one fun and bizarre offshoot of the sort of, I would call uh, the Sims holes and everything, the traditional hollow earth theory 
A bizarre offshoot was put forward by a natural healer and cult leader, Cyrus Teed, who inverted the idea, fun, devising a cellular cosmology that argued that the entire universe was inside a shell. He was like, what if we go one deeper? And actually, we're in the hollow earth. Isn't that literally the plot of the first Men in Black movie? Possibly. Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) They're all in a marble on like a cat's collar. He was like, we're inside the hollow earth and we're looking up at the universe, which itself is just an illusion created by a solar mechanism. We're actually just reflections of light. Oh, that's cute. And people were like tight enough to gain like a little small cult following around him called the Koreshian Unity after uh, Cyrus Teed named himself Koresh. So, you know, that's fun. They established an extensive colony in where? Florida. 1894. Okay. But after he died, which he was not supposed to do in 1908, they were like, wait. way of doing that. (laughs) Maybe this isn't what we thought it was. This guy was supposed to be like all knowing and he turns out died yeah they were like hey (laughs) oh come on on. yikes um but to this day both teed and sims have monuments dedicated to their work and beliefs the location in fact where the koreshian cult was has now is now protected by as the koreshian state historic site doesn't seem necessary (laughs) but the hollow earth theory grew into the 20th century and then began to take on a kind of an even more supernatural air 1864, Jules Verne published A Journey to the Center of the Earth, which one of our patrons mentioned earlier up here in the chat. And Jules Verne proposed a weird world inside of our own. Obviously, it was not the first work of fiction to propose this kind of thing. Kind of, actually, you could kind of argue that the first thing that ever did that was uh, Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. Journey to the Center of the Earth very quickly became the sort of the benchmark for a lot of fantasy tales and gave this whole kind of subgenre of subterranean science fiction a thing and many of these stories used both Hallie or Sims theories as sort of jumping off points for weird prehistoric jungles and highly advanced lost races of humans um there are a lot of like fiction and science fiction that came from this theory principally I think that since something that's still playing and still developing as a huge franchise in our world is King Kong versus Godzilla because this is how they explain kaiju in those movies. Like, Hollow Earth is a huge part of explaining King Kong and Godzilla and how all of those creatures how like exist without us knowing about them. Oh, they're just in there. Yeah, that's simple. Anybody can figure that out. They're in there in the in the earth. It, uh, in in yeah. the movies, the idea was first introduced by John Goodman's character, who was part of like, a <gasps> high-ranking official in Monarch. Um, good, good man. And their job, Monarch, obviously, is to track the location of kaijus across the globe. Like, we get that. But basically, yeah, Skull obviously. Island is supposed to be this point where, like, a lot of these under, like, inner earth tunnels meet. And so it's like a meeting place between the outer earth and the inner earth. And that's why there's, like, a storm always around it. These, like, terrestrial organisms, or, like, that's what they call They call them mutos in, like, the American version rather than kaijus. But, like, the whole thing is that there are these enormous underground caverns all over the world, and the inner Earth has these giant beasties and megafauna in it. And so, like, duh, they find their way to Skull Island, and Bob's your uncle. We have a Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah. But in through, like, learning <laughs> all about this stuff, I also learned about this idea of Agatha, 
which is this sort of like partly religious, but also sort of partly spiritual idea of the of a legendary city that's at the Earth's core, which is entire like kind of entire with Eastern mysticism, uh-huh. and that's where this idea of the inner Earth being able to produce bigger and more healthy creatures than those on the surface comes from, which is like where it informs King Kong and Godzilla. Is like the idea that it has this perfect temperature, and because God made the inner sun so that it provides heat during the night, and so therefore trees grow up to a thousand feet tall and humans are fifteen feet tall, and that's where we get these like big old animals that develop into oh. things like King Kong and Godzilla. I see. And Godzilla. The modern belief in the Hollow Earth theory can be a bit hard to pin down because of like pop culture and movies and stuff that kind of, I guess, got in the way of the quote unquote science of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The idea is sort of like the Northern Lights is like the inner Earth trying to communicate with us. Okay. And then the idea that Germans who escaped Hitler made it into Hollow Earth and they had to make a deal with the people in Hollow Earth and they got like taken down there. Uh, but I mean, the largest proponents of this theory are these guys like Clough, like we mentioned earlier, who has this website and made their own book. It's kind of like very much their own spin on the hypothesis of what they consider to be true evidence. But among most believers of the Hollow Earth idea is that the inside of the Hollow Earth is a lush tropical paradise that houses an advanced race of humans slash aliens slash giants. And they are the descendants of ancient races. They are genuinely characterized as sort of peace-loving and advanced beyond our own. And so this idea is that like heaven exists within the earth. And if you were to go down the North Pole or I guess up the South Pole, you would get there and everything would be nicer. <laughs> and that's everything would be that's nice. the uh, that's the theory of the hollow earth. But here's how it comes real circle. Oh my god. Tell me. Just to finish it off, for real, for real, this time. Okay. Is that Owen Edgerton, who made <gasps> Bloodfest, yes. wrote a novel called Hollow. I haven't read it, and I will accept that I don't know much about it, but I read, while I was researching this, I read an article with about him that said that like he kind of had this experience after he had written this book. It came out just when Trump got elected, and he had this really interesting journey of thinking about conspiracy theories and realizing that like it's actually not that fun or funny to talk about because he would be at book signings or events where he was talking about his novel and there would be these people in the crowd who totally believed in the hollow earth theory and mm-hmm. when it became evident that he it was you know he'd written a fiction book and he didn't believe in the conspiracy they would like get really angry or mad and they would leave and it became this like wild experience of him of of writing a book where he had never imagined what the response would be in the community that he didn't really like super know about but it was very interesting and it's really good uh, interview with him about it but i thought that was wild like can you imagine writing a fictional novel and finding yourself caught up in something that you didn't realize was as big as it was i think that's really fascinating i wonder if that's kind of how like uh stephanie meyer felt where she was like here's my heartfelt like mormon romance about uh <laughs> this vampire and this child and everyone's like yeah it's fucking hot as shit like here's all my like here's all my weird fan fiction about it and she's like oh no and they're like yeah historically vampires have been like a coded for like queer sex and then she's like oh no (laughs) oopsie whoopsie 
that's my story. That's the Hollow Earth conspiracy. Eleanor. Yeah. That was great. Did you enjoy? I did. I greatly enjoyed it. It had everything. Made me think of Kings and Queens. (gasps) Made me think of that movie, The Core, that my mom made me watch. So that was good. Made me think of John Goodman. Who oh, you didn't know John is Good in like Man. so many fucking movies. You know what? Who you know what John Goodman is in? What Speed Racer? He is in Speed Racer. <laughs> That's true. Speed Racer, the movie that haunts us all. I would uh, love to see a movie with John Goodman and Gary Oldman. Can you imagine and just call it like the men? <laughs> a I good old it. man. A good old man. A good old DM, DM, DM. Okay, five points. Yeah, TM, five points for good old man. <laughs> Two points for bringing it real circle to someone that we know. Thank you. I will take a point off because I feel like you kind of tricked me like backwards into admitting that like I think that being asked to perform colonialism for a king or a queen would be fun, and that was mean. But okay. I will <laughs> I will give three points back. Uh, because I, feel like I barely understand, but that's the thing. <laughs> uh, I will give three points back because we got to talk about Atlantis, and like I really shoehorned that in, and you just went with it, and I appreciate that. Of course, I will. I you know I love to shoehorn. Yeah, I know it's the number one thing I know about you. Are you ready? To take a little trip down the silken road of broken dreams. Yes. I don't know what's happening, but I'm excited. I think you're really going to like it because here's the thing. This story, it goes a lot of places. So we will be starting off in our very own Austin, Texas, because that is where Ross Ulbricht, the uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like 36-year-old who invented the Silk Road, was born, like got born. Okay. So this is a hometown boy. Oh my gosh. And if you look at photos of him, he looks like an extra out of the social network. And the story very feels very like social networky. It feels like the story of, you know, old Zuck, our our good friend Zuck, or like Jack Dorsey, who invented Twitter. Like this guy was a dot com, you know, social marketplace whiz kid. Yeah. And It's in some ways, like if he hadn't been doing something super illegal, he probably would have been listed amongst those people because the Silk Road only existed for like a few years. But during that time, in under three years, Ross made over half a billion dollars, (gasps) like just himself, because the other crazy thing about the Silk Road. Yeah. The other crazy thing about the Silk Road is that it was mostly a one-man operation, and it wasn't some guy that, like, wasn't some, like, hardened hacker or somebody who had, like, a ton of experience with this stuff or somebody who came from the underworld. He was, like, a 20-something engineering graduate student. Okay. This is the tragic tale of Ross Ulbricht. Tragic, I put in quotations because it depends on how you really think about that. Okay. So, like I said, he was born in Austin. Uh, attended UT Dallas and then later Penn State. And then he came back to Austin trying to figure out what he wanted to do for his career. This guy was born in like 1984. Like he is like in a different universe. He could have been like one of our friends. 
So yeah. it's just wild to think about. During this time, like his sort of post-grad phase when he's wandering aimlessly from job to job. So this is like the early teens, like late aughts, early teens, 20, okay. 2008, 2010. He starts <laughs> to really hone in on these like strong libertarian beliefs. And this is important because it later would become core to his mission in creating the Silk Road. So <laughs> libertarians, in case you're not super familiar in like, I think like the single, like shortest, easiest way to explain what they believe is uh, in this example from the libertarian party debate to see who the libertarian candidate for president would be. When one of the questions was, will you get rid of the driver's license? And every candidate on stage said, oh, hell yeah. Like, we can't have the government telling us who gets to drive. Uh, one guy said, a driver's license, what's next? A license to toast toast in my own damn toaster. So a very famous, like, sound I'm sorry, life. what yeah. year was this? It's from, I think it was from 2016. What? <laughs> I'm just going to speak in, like, really general broad strokes that's going to offend absolutely everyone because I think that's, like, maybe the most fair thing to do. Uh, the okay. way to think about this is people say that Democrats are in favor of big government for economic stuff and big government for social issues, right? So the government should fix social stuff and they should fix economic stuff. Republicans right. believe in big government for social stuff, like government should come in and do a bunch of social stuff, but little government for economic stuff, like leave our money alone. Libertarians believe little government for both, little to no government. They like don't want the government to say, who can drive, who cannot drive, who needs to wear a seatbelt, who needs to go to school. They're the ones that like, as our friend Max Kremke points out, are like, we shouldn't have a state run fire department. You should just be able to buy a fire service and it should be <laughs> yeah. commensurate with how much money you can spend on it so you can choose. In their mind, the government should not, should not be allowed to tell you what you do with your money whatsoever. Right. This is like the ideology that Ross is like really getting into right before he creates the Silk Road. He participated in a 2007 uh, Mitt Romney primary YouTube event. So also like kind of early for YouTube as well. Okay, yeah. But basically Mitt Romney was like, I'm going to get the kid vote. Did not go super well for him in 2008, but I... And also really didn't go too well for him in 2012 either, but whatever. <laughs> so Mitt Romney did this thing on YouTube where he was like, what do you believe is America's single greatest challenge? I want to hear from you, the people on YouTube in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> and Ross Ulbricht recorded a video of himself responding to Mitt Romney. And his response was, quote, the most important thing is getting us out of the United Nations. So this is where Ross was. Okay. Okay. So as he becomes like more involved online in like both libertarian and just sort of general internet, like deep web type message boards, he really starts to believe in this ideology of a free market and specifically not just a free market in the way that we think about it. Like, oh, the government shouldn't tell you to sell your game stock stocks, but like a free market in terms of like the government shouldn't be allowed, shouldn't be involved at all. It shouldn't regulate anything. And that's where this idea for the Silk Road comes from. It's this oh. idea of like this, it was called the eBay of vice, but in Ross's initial idea, it was just the eBay without the government. So that's why it had to go on to the deep web. He imagined a place where you could buy or sell anything and the government couldn't come and take like a sales tax or track right. what you've bought. You know, like there was a 
there's always that joke of like, oh, if you buy like the anarchist cookbook, you get put on like an FBI watch list, stuff like that. So that was where the Silk Road came from, or at least the idea came from. But he knew in order to do that and actually have the government not be able to track what was done, he had to put it on the deep web. And okay. this, and again, like I don't want to get super into the deep web, but just something that's really fun is that when I was researching for this what topic, the deep web was designed by, you guessed it, the U.S. government <laughs> um, in the mid... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the deep web in just like a, a general sense is the unindexed internet, right? It's, it's the bad sneaky internet. It's, well, it ends up, they started using it. This is, okay, this is where we're going. This is the thing I was going to tell you. So our idea of the deep web now is like synonymous with the dark web, which is doing bad shit on the internet but the deep web just refers to the hundreds of thousands probably hundreds of millions hundreds and hundreds of millions of web pages that's just like every single thing that like won't show up in a google search so like for example you know how whenever you look up like a photo Chelsea, what i literally thought those things were the same thing a lot of people did but they're not Oh my gosh, the deep web and the dark. Oh my, oh my God. So okay. it's, a, it's an umbrella thing. Like most to all of the dark web is on the deep web, but the deep web is way more than the dark web. The deep mm. web, you can think about it as like the bottom, the part Classified, of the- Classified, like the area 51 of the internet. Kind of, but it's not even, it's, it's not even as like sinister or even interesting as that. It's more like the iceberg of the internet. So you know how like when you see a picture of an iceberg, only a small part of it is above the ocean and the, the huge giant part of it is below the ocean. Yes. It's like that. The web that we interact with when we go to like YouTube or Netflix or Twitter or Reddit or whatever, that's the internet that's above the water. But for every website that we interact with and we have a user interface that's friendly that we can point and click, there are hundreds of thousands of pages that go into making that work that aren't interesting. They're they're just the, oh. the scaffolding of the internet. So they don't get indexed in web searches like Google. Google knows not oh to show you all God. of that. You don't need any of that. That's okay. the deep web. It hurts my brain. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. But this is what happened. In the 90s, that is when the U.S. government finally got with it enough that, like, not just sciencey U.S. government, but, like, all the government was like, we should be online. And then, as you can imagine, bureaucrats in the government were like, but if we put it online, everyone will find it. Like, teens that are smarter than us will, like, find all of our government information, which, I mean, they were right. True. So, yep. <laughs> so they were like, well, we can't have this. We have to have a way to put the government online, but have it be, like, so secret. And so the U.S. Naval Research Lab created a system to be able to search and, like, actually basically interact with the deep web, which they knew was not trackable or accessible to the comment, like to the public at large, they created essentially like a web browser, but for that part of the internet that then the government could use and they called it Tor and it was designed with federal funding. And then because they, it was a government project and because I don't know, I guess they couldn't really foresee like, what it would be used for, which I don't really understand, but that might be a topic for another time. They decided just to release Tor. So like not the access to the government, but just the browser that they had made. They they decided to release the code for that, just like as freeware on the internet. Okay. And they did that in 2002. And Tor is now, to this day, the de facto, it is Google, but for the dark web. So if you download <gasps> Tor, supposedly you get put on a list. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, like people like Ross Ulbricht, who are like, oh, the government is the root of every problem, can only use the dark web by using a government created <laughs> source code, which is Tor. <laughs> okay. So Ross does not see this irony at all. And he downloads Tor and he's like, I'm going to fucking do it. And he creates the Silk Road. And like I said, okay. it's the eBay of Vice. And it's not just the eBay of Vice because it's where you go to buy Vice. It's because unlike all these other dark web websites, which were just like now beginning, it's really well designed. It's laid out like an eBay. You have categories. You have your drugs category. And no. then in there, there's like the subheadings for like cocaine, heroin, marijuana, LSD, psychedelics, lab created, you know, whatever the fucks. You go, you can get fake IDs, passports, social security numbers, driver's licenses. You can go in and and hire people. There's like a services section. So maybe it's more like the Craigslist advice than the eBay yeah. advice. Yeah. But uh, the you, toss grab it of the toss grab it because you can you can hire people to hack websites for you. You can buy. You know how like digital content is like what every like you know girl boss is trying to sell these days. Which is like buy my online course. You could buy people's online courses for like how to break into an ATM. Oh. Um, and all of it was done via Tor, so on the deep web, so, so completely untraceable. And it was all all the... Um, by design, all the right? Untraceable by design. Untraceable by design, right, because you're buying illegal shit. And not only that, but it was all handled via Bitcoin. <gasps> so... Oh. It couldn't even be traced back to your like the money that you spent, right? Is this how Bitcoin became so profitable? I mean, that is yes, surely, kind of. right? Like, so Bitcoin is inextricably linked with like the rise of Bitcoin is inextricably linked with the rise of the dark web and the Silk Road specifically. But it is obviously more complicated than that. I'm sure that's not how this is not the story that Bitcoin would tell you. Uh, so that right. might be a really good topic for another episode. Right. And although Ross made it very clear when he was promoting the Silk Road after he created it, there would be no child porn allowed on the Silk Road, which was true. Uh-huh. Uh, you could hire hitmen and you oh. could hire people to go kidnap and torture people for you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it would just, but it was all just so very like mundane. Like you would go on the website. Again, it looked kind of like eBay and you would see a listing that you could click into that was just like hitmen parentheses 10 plus countries. <gasps> and you'd be like, oh, that sounds good. Let me see what countries I can get this guy for. They even had seller and buyer reviews, Ellie. So you could leave feedback. No, and be like, great hitman. Oh, great hitman. Four out of five stars. I am deducting one for like not super prompt service. Oh. Also, I, I asked for a pinky and he sent me a ring finger and that was just kind of a bummer. It's not going to fit ah. in my little box that I bought for it. So like four out of five stars, but all in all, like great service. Great hitman. Good murder. Great hitman. Oh my God. <laughs> so like I said, he created the do, do you think they sent them notifications like, hey, you haven't raided your hitman. Do you want to, do you want to pop in and just like tell the well, world about how they did? Ellie, you're getting a little ahead of yourself in this story. No. So the let me tell you, the hitman comes back in the third act. How about that? Uh, uh, ruh row, hitman three. Hitman three, two hit, two man. So <laughs> old man, good man, hitman. Anyway. Oh, that's uh, the episode title. <laughs> that might be the episode title. Uh, plus <laughs> inner son. So <laughs> so like I said, he creates this, he basically. Just like anybody on the street, uh, Ross downloads Tor, 
He builds out this site, the Silk Road, and then he just starts going to all of his like normal, like regular internet haunts and just starts promoting it. And he's like, hey, this is the Silk Road. This is the uh, deep. This is how you like download the deep web. This is how you get to it. And like, go nuts. Have fun. Fuck the government. Let's go. He's just like completely cavalier about it because he's so sure that having it on the deep web means that the FBI can't trace it. And he's right for quite some time because that's not how they got him uh no it grows it becomes hugely popular those kind of like more salacious things like we talk about like the hitmen like that is part of it but overwhelmingly the silk road is just where like normal people go to buy drugs i mean obviously like you and i have never done drugs and we would never do drugs and like we couldn't even like, conceive of doing drugs like ever yes. at any point at any time for any reason that's but right imagine what would it be like to just literally go on your computer and like buy weed the way that you buy like hair products from sephora and it would just come to your house and it was that easy that's wild um a study from the addiction journal estimates that like at the height of the silk roads popularity something like 20 percent of the drugs being purchased in the united states were being purchased from the silk road so this whole thing like existing and working under everyone's noses and by their own design they couldn't look for it yeah embarrassing (laughs) and so now i mean the fbi knew about it so like they started working on a case for the silk road this is like the funniest part they started working on a case for the silk road uh, basically as soon as it started because like i said ross was promoting it on regular websites Uh, okay but the deep web does it does what it says it does it's not traceable you cannot figure out there's no server to go look at there's no ip address to find So they were just like, well, this exists, and I sure hope that we find it. Meanwhile, drug cartels are really interested in this because they're seeing, like, obviously, consumer, like, consumer-level drug trades are going on hundreds to thousands a day on this website. So they start wanting to do big-level movements, right? Like, they're like, oh, so who wants to buy, like, 8,000 pounds of cocaine? (laughs) Which, obviously, is a harder thing. But here's the issue. Ross who by this point uh, is going by the name Dread Pirate Roberts, which he got from the Princess Bride that is real. (laughs) Yep. He has really just completely bought into this idea that he is a drug kingpin. He is the one who knocks. He is Heisenberg. Okay. He is the best. So when he sees like this big listing come in for like 8,000 pounds of cocaine or whatever, he decides to send them some messages personally through the site where he's like, it's me, Dread Pirate Roberts. And I am going to help you with your big old Coke sale. Uh, And they're like, great. And he's like, basically, he's thinking like he can be a middleman. Like he can find somebody in the vast stores of Silk Road that would want to buy this. He can like kind of level up into this like mover and shaker in the drug world, in the underworld or whatever. (laughs) Because he is like, that's how involved in the site he is. It's not just that like he owned it. It's that like he was on the website like 10 to 12 hours every day. He was the entire like customer support center. He was the webmaster. (laughs) He knew everybody or he knew everything that was kind of going on. So he contacts this person and is like, yeah, no, I'm going to help you move your Coke. And then he hires a friend who had been like a longtime user of the site named Curtis Clark Green to basically be like his first employee. And his first thing is he's going to handle this like large scale Coke deal for him. Not really clear why Ross thought that Curtis Clark Green could handle this, but he super couldn't. And oh no. The Coke arrived at Curtis Clark Green's house. It arrived via USPS and it turned out <gasps> the, the postal worker was an undercover FBI agent. No! 
And he just got immediately busted. Like their first thing, he just got busted. Out of the gate. Out of the gate. What? Oh my God. Well, so Ross is furious. He thinks that this is Curtis's fault that he bungled it. And he's also terrified that he's going to talk. So, and this is, now this is the part where we have to go into like, this is what the prosecution alleges. They do have data that backs this up. Okay. These are not the things that Ross Ulbricht was convicted for in a court of law. Ross runs a website where you can hire hitmen. So Ross hires a hitman off of the Silk Road. And originally, he just wants the hitman to torture Curtis, to scare him, like scare him straight, scare him out of talking to the FBI. He says, I'd like him beat up and then forced to send the bitcoins he stole back. He was like furious because in order to facilitate this deal, Curtis was supposed to get the coke and also Ross had wired him like a huge amount of bitcoin to facilitate this deal. Okay. And then obviously when Curtis got busted by the FBI, uh, they both did not have the Coke and Curtis did not send back that money, did not refund that money to Ross. <laughs> so that was why Ross initially got the hitman. Is he was like, I want to scare him straight. I need that Bitcoin wired back. And the hitman that he hired was like, yeah, I've totally got this. It's going to be fine. The very next day, Ross got cold feet, but also I guess like the opposite of cold feet because he sent another message through Silk Road that said, can you change the order to execute rather than torture? <laughs> Uh, he said, I've never killed a man or had one killed before, but it is the right move in this case. So, oh, oh my God. Yeah. So, Dread Pirate Roberts, whoever had that account, which was almost always Ross, but again, this was not what he was convicted for. The Dread Pirate Roberts account agreed to pay the seller $80,000 to kill Curtis Clark Green. And then basically he said, I'll give you 40000 up front. And then 40000 when you send me proof of death. I oh, prefer wow. a video. If you can't do that, then pictures. I'm more concerned about silencing him than getting the money back because I have to assume that he will sing. So on February 12, 2012, the account belonged to Dread Pirate Roberts, logged on to Silk Road, and got a mess- like an update from the hitman that said Green was still alive but being tortured and that he'll be dead soon. And oh sure enough, God. they... S- <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, like a few days later, they sent him uh, evidence that he had died. So he was like, great, this is this is good. This worked. This I'm not in trouble with the FBI. I am ready to keep doing crime and ready to keep killing. And he well, he did. So that account also hired hitmen for other people that he believed had wronged him through the site, either like by fucking up a sale, by like closing their account, by screwing somebody out of money. From then on, he used a different hitman account that said that they were part of the Hells Angels, that they were a Hells Angel. They would just order this Hells Angel person to go kill people for them. Everything kind of came crashing down for Ross in 2013 when the FBI came to his house because they had been tracking this shipment of fake IDs throughout the mail. And they found that the ultimate destination for those fake IDs was a rented house where Ross was living. They basically came in kind of like a friendly way of just like, hey, did you know that either you bought a bunch of fake IDs or somebody tried to have fake IDs sent to you? And Ross, being maybe at this point a little too full of himself or a little too confident, actually said to the FBI agents at his house, "Uh, gosh, gee golly, no, like I didn't know that. But I mean, I have heard that you can buy that kind of stuff on a little website called the Silk Road. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. 
he like actually had the balls to say that and the fbi was like great cool that's all we needed uh and they started putting together all of their evidence to arrest him and the way they arrested him was incredible and i swear we're close to the end here so the way they arrested him was incredible because the way that i read it it basically sounds like if an arrest was a flash mob so he was working on his laptop in a library in san francisco because he liked to go work in different places since he was doing super illegal shit sure there's all these people around right like everybody's like reading their books working on their computers whatever and this woman comes up to him and just goes i'm fucking sick of you and grabs his laptop and then he freaks out and like loses his shit and then all these other people jump up and this is the part that's like hard for me to understand i guess they mean jackets but they were in the article i read it was like they ripped their clothes off to reveal their fbi (laughs) agent's clothes and i'm like well that doesn't make sense like it must have been like they were wearing like a jacket like an fbi like vest or something but basically (laughs) almost everybody except for the librarian was an undercover fbi agent and they were all just waiting for the signal which the signal was this woman grabbing the laptop and saying i'm sick of you and then they just converged on him and as they're like taking him out of this library in handcuffs the female fbi agent that was the one that like gave the signal she turns to the librarian who is just like shocked like beyond just like stunned and she goes surprise oh wow yeah surprise surprise (laughs) the assistant u.s attorney claims that ross spent almost a million dollars so seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars of his earnings from the silk roads just specifically on hitmen to go after people but here's the absolute best part and here's the part of the reason i'm sorry can i just take this back this guy is from austin and went to ut he went to ut dallas first of all let's be real but he's from austin yeah he's just like a little mark zuckerberg looking kid And he, like, wanted to make, like, a fuck the government Craigslist. And then he ended up being a drug lord. Right. Yeah, he he hired all these people to kill his perceived enemies. But here's the funniest part. And here is why I believe at least part of the reason why he was not... These are not the charges that he was brought up on. These, like, contract killings. None of those people are dead. (laughs) So they couldn't find a single bit of evidence... That any of the people that he ordered killed by the Hell's Angel guy were actually dead. Obviously, they couldn't they couldn't track this 100% because they're using all these aliases and they're on the dark web. But the person using the Dread Pirate Roberts account to hire all these killings gave as much identifying information, including like where they lived, because he had their addresses, right, from the transactions. So yeah. he would give their addresses to this Hell's Angel person. The FBI then did like, you know, a bunch of investigating and they couldn't find any murders from those places so they their theory at least like that they've released to the public is that this hell's angel person was just a con man and was just like taking his 80 grand and then essentially staging a murder like sending like a murder (laughs) photo but like not the murder photo which is hysterical to think about like you're a little privileged white boy who pays someone to go murder for them and they don't but they fake it and they're like yeah yeah i sure did it and you're like oh good my agenda's being advanced and then you're like wait what (laughs) well it's just funny because this is you know the the downside of 
of no regulation, right? Is that there's no quality right. control on your hitmen. So you are going to have people who are just like, oh, you'll pay me $80,000 to kill someone. Yeah, I'll totally, uh, to kill someone you yeah. don't know, have never met and will never see again or like never touch a sea again or cross paths with. Yeah, totally. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a like photo the of, of a- This feels like the kind of guy who would ask for like a presidential pardon for his bullshit. Oh, we'll get there. And so- What? <laughs> So, I'm sorry, what? So, uh, so yeah, it does appear as though the Hells Angel person was a con man conning him. Now, when it comes to Curtis Clark Green one, which, if you remember, was used used a different hitman. However, remember uh-huh. how I said that Curtis Clark Green got busted? Yeah. Well, the hitman was an FBI agent. It was part of the sting to capture Russell Ulrich. So they, they faked photos of his torture and death with Curtis Clark Green's participation to send a Dread Pirate Roberts oh. to convince him that this was happening in order to keep gaining more information about him. So it was fake all along. Uh, and the reason that they're confident enough to convict that Ross Ulbricht is Dread Pirate Roberts is because when that woman, that female FBI agent grabbed his laptop, he was logged into the Silk Road as Dread Pirate Roberts in a web admin page called Mastermind. So, oh, good. Yeah. He was convicted for money laundering, computer hacking, conspiracy to traffic fraudulent identity documents. That would be like the driver's licenses, social security uh-huh. documents, and conspiracy yeah. to traffic narcotics by means of the internet. Um, <laughs> here's where things get dicey and kind of interesting. He got convicted in 2015. He was okay. sentenced to a double life sentence plus 40 years without the possibility of parole Oof. at the age of 30. So like, okay. Imagine like right now, if you were convicted of double life, no parole. Yeah, uh, so that's a that's long a time. That's a long time to be in prison. Yeah. And here's the thing: I don't think this guy is a particularly good guy. I didn't. I didn't like the ideology that he had behind creating the Silk Road. I mean, I guess it's great that he drew the line at child porn, but I don't think it's cool to like facilitate hiring people to kill people. Also, yeah. it does very much. Even though these are not the things that he was convicted for, it does very much seem that. He did also try to have people killed and he had no remorse over it. I don't yeah. like any of those things. As you also know, though, I am a prison abolitionist and I don't really like the idea of locking somebody away for what were essentially non, especially for what were nonviolent crimes. Yeah. For their the rest of their entire lives, especially because like it's expensive and doesn't do anything. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> what I think is weird, there is a huge sort of like simp population for this guy. There's all these websites that are like free Ross. He's like a cause celebre online uh, for a lot of people. And what I think is kind of dicey is they, the way that they have decided to kind of like promote his cause to try to get him out of prison is they're not really aligning him. Some people do, but they're not really aligning him with the likes of like an Edward Snowden of like a misunderstood like internet person or whatever they're aligning him with like mostly black and brown people who are serving life sentences for nonviolent drug offenses that's what they always say they're like it's a nonviolent drug offense no they'll there's like (laughs) if you look him up you can like see images of like him as like the only white person in like an image of like you know seven guys in prison and they're like all of these men are serving life sentences for nonviolent drug offenses. And it feels like there's a sort of co-opting of what is like a huge like race and class problem where mostly black and brown people are given much harsher sentences for nonviolent crimes. And then yeah. they're like, and then Ross Holbert is like, and me also. And it's like, well, okay, but you're 
Yeah, but for better or worse, a very unique case. (laughs) This is different, dude. This is different. And I'm not even saying that I think that you should be in prison for life. I'm just saying that, like, that's different. So, yes, his mom lobbied hard to President Trump (gasps) to get a pardon. And as you know, Donald Trump pardoned like 140 people on his way out the door. But Ross was not one of them. Oh, really? Now? Yeah, no. It's almost like Ross didn't have anything personally on President 45 for it to be. Yeah, it does. It does sure seem that way. Important to him. It does seem that way, huh? Yeah. So when he was arrested and they were getting ready for trial, they offered him a plea deal because again he's a white dude of course they did guess how long his sentence would have been if he had taken the deal and pled guilty 20 years 10 years he'd be almost out i mean also like it's a general rule of thumb especially if you're white that as long as you don't like kill someone while you're in prison usually serve about half the time that you're like given uh, give or so take because the, cause the prisons are so overcrowded because we incarcerate more people than any other like fucking uh you know first world country or whatever i hate it i know so he probably would be out right now but yeah he was given a deal for 10 years and he turned it down to fight in court because he believed that he believed that he was the smartest person in the room that if he was just given the chance to stand up in court and spin his story he would beat the case altogether and that's sure not what fucking happened new no. So I'm sure he's cooking himself on that one. (laughs) And then I guess the last thing I'll say is that if this story was interesting to you, and if it It sounds like like a spookier social network, just know that Hollywood agreed and that a movie about this guy is coming out in, uh, actually, I think in two days. I think it'll be out by the time this episode comes out. No way. It's called Silk Road. Well, enjoy that, everyone. So (laughs) Chelsea, I'm going to give you three points for your title. Okay. I'm going to take away three points for the plea deal. (laughs) But I'm going to plus six points because you taught me the difference between dark and deep web. Oh, well, you know, I love to do that for you. Yeah. And I'm also going to give you (laughs) one more point because it was really funny to me how stupid the FBI are. Yeah. Wait, what? Like on purpose. They made a part of the web that you can't search. And they're like, wait, what? People are going to use this? I see. You mean like when they made when they made Tor available to everyone? Yeah. Okay, so I was going to say, I mean, they did, they did, how, your feelings about the FBI aside, they did win in this case. They did get him. So, right, eventually. But yes, no, that part was not very smart. But, but in that a was way, the they did create him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking wild. The only difference between, like, him and Zuckerberg, who also has done some real shady fucking shit, is that he, I don't know, was selling, was peddling the wrong stuff, I guess. <laughs> The wrong snake oil. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, exactly, Ellie. He was peddling the wrong snake oil. So if I was to add up the scores at this point, on episode three, it's Ellie at 21 and Chelsea at 27. I mean, you're gay. You don't even need Miles. (laughs) You're gaining on me. Despite Connor's obvious attempt at sabotage... That was wild. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of What. That is where we. What a, that was a really fun episode. I super enjoyed that. That was that was really good. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. 
And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash those two girls. And our website is those two girls.club. And you can contact us there if you want us to say anything fun on the website for y'all or anything at all. And thank you guys so much for listening. And I don't know, maybe this week you should um, go learn something. Well, that's interesting because you know what I think? What do you think, Chelsea? I think you should keep it loose. Keep it tight. Say your present night. <laughs> <laughs>